places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, a national manufacturing podcast sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every sector of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie podcast, my travels take me to Nashville, Tennessee, to talk with Mr. James Soto, CEO of Industrial Strength Marketing. Now, I want to tell you, I discovered James on YouTube, and I was instantly hooked, and I immediately contacted him because he can help so many companies that I run across in all of my travels. First off, obviously, James, I want to welcome you to my podcast. And for the love of God, why is the manufacturing industry the worst at marketing in the world? So, well, thanks for having me again. And manufacturers are all at different stages of their journey, right? Like yeah. we're, we're like truly industrial age, you know, and acting the part, yeah. right? And we are still analog, you know, so to speak. I think the question of being the worst versus being the best, I think is a question of mindset, beliefs, putting your money where your mouth is. And I think it's also a key issue of really understanding really where we are today what are those generational technology market forces and competitive forces that we're up against and the role that this new industrial and evolved industrial buyers is, is playing in the world. And, and that's really the basis upon which we really need to think, right? Like how do we serve our customers and whether we're part of the, whatever part of the supply chain. So when we think about that question of the worst, right, I think the worst of it is really centered around a fundamental problem that, you know, when I created industrial strength marketing and, you know, the agency brand goes by, our friends call us industrial. When I created the company in 2003, you know, I came out of the information age in the nineties and we were going from analog to digital cellular networks were forming, things like Bluetooth were forming. And I was involved in that. Yahoo was forming in, you know, what, 1994, by 1998, Google formed and, you know, have the you know, industry producing catalogs and print and the industrial directories were, were trying to transition from print to digital. And so in that backdrop, I was approached by one of the major directories, but what they were looking for were folks with new DNA because they saw the writing on the wall and the way industrial buyers and suppliers were connecting and the role that digital was going to be playing there. So when we think about the best and worst of us as industrial marketers, what there's 258,000 industrial businesses in North America of all shapes and sizes, when you look at them, they're all at different phases. And what's the worst about it is that when I created the business, you know, when you create a business, you try to center it around a problem in the market you're solving, right? So yeah. when you're looking at your business model, that's where it all starts. What's the problem we're solving? And so that worst of it was, and still is, across the spectrum, right? There's folks that are awesome, there's folks that are horrible in manufacturing, but the worst of it was really, for the large part, clearly like the 90th percentile, you know, in 2003, marketing was missing, mismanaged, or misunderstood. So when you kind of look at first principles thinking, okay, why? And you ask the why, why is it missing? Why is it mismanaged? Why is it misunderstood? Mm-hmm. And we started to, you know, start to look at that question in creating the business and, and the reasons for why and why is it missing? Well, they're not funding it. Why are they not funding it? And time and time again, that came back to one thing. It was a leadership issue. It was a belief issue. Industrials still for a unfortunate large part, industrial leaders have a bad relationship with marketing. They don't understand it. And they either don't know or don't believe. And it's a question of belief. So when we're looking at the root cause of it being missing, mismanaged, or misunderstood, literally not having a chief marketing officer in a small, medium, or even enterprise-sized industrial business, it really centers on that issue. And have they marketed over time? Have they done digital things? Yes. But when you don't know where you started and, and what it did for you, you have no context to understand whether or not it's beneficial to a business. So that's really where it starts. What's the worst of it is there's a lack of organizational belief, commitment, and investment in building a strong, integrated, and aligned marketing function. 
Yeah, and I agree. And obviously, you know, I'm going to be less politically correct than you because I'm still in it as a W-2 employee, you know, working for Kogane. So just to give the listeners some context, too, about what I've seen, what I'm trying to do now. So, I mean, to humble everybody that's listening, and as I told you prior to the start of the podcast, I'm figuring this out as well. Last over a decade of international sales, meaning I work for Kogane, I get on a plane, I go and meet with a given OEM manufacturer of crayons or whatever. I always tell people, if you see the TV show, how it's made, that's what I do for a living. And taking out the industrial term or whatever, you know, one of the things that I find commonality and what I've watched so many times from you is going back to the leadership. People want to segregate or talk about what they do is so different. And I call BS to that. You make a product, you're going to sell it to customers. How are you doing that? And to your point, Industry 4.0, e-commerce, it's removed all that. One of the things that I talk about, and so I'd like you to talk a little bit too on this, we sell through the distribution channel to market. So in the world of manufacturing, I don't care who you are, listeners, you either have a sales force yourself where they're hired by you, they work exclusively for you to sell your product, or you have what Kogane has. We're based in Tokyo, Japan. Our office in California is just a sales office. We have 50 distributors coast to coast in North and South America. They are independently owned, meaning I can't tell them what to do, but I can bring value to them with the products we make and they can decide, yeah, we're going to sell that. The challenge with distribution is basically wholesale. They get a percent discount or price. So when they sell it to retail to a customer, they get to make those margin dollars. What disconnect happens is because I don't have control of them, they can not only sell our products, they can sell 20 other companies' products too. So then we're crying to James Soto on, oh, we need to grow Mindshare because distributor is selling more of company Z than Kogane. Can you help us? Because now we have a disconnect. Going back to, again, we make a product, we want to sell more of it, but now our sales force is not doing it the way we want. So when I look at my world and all the things that I hear when you talk about leadership is I, I'll see leaders with their arms crossed and say, hey, if you sell through distribution or through a rep, it's not our job to do marketing. We make the products. They decided to sign with us. They're supposed to be selling us. It's their job to do it. The problem is, I love the arrogance and the confidence, but good luck. I have been saying distribution, reps, even salespeople, if they're not selling only one brand, they have, in essence, become Walmart. Because of e-commerce, meaning this, it is not my distributor's job to sell Kogane. It is their job to have Kogane and every other industrial supply company's products on a shelf. So when Pete and Rick come in from... Gillette or whatever, and they say, hey, we need a valve or we need, you know, a vision system or we need whatever, a product, that distributor, location, that Walmart has everything on the shelf. It is now the supplier or the individual company, the leader to influence Rick and Frank. So when they come into that distributor location, they're going, hey, we want Kogane because we've been watching and we know about Kogane. So one of the things I want to ask you then, because of the world that I know, so for everybody listening, does industrial, your company, who is a customer that you guys typically would work with? We focus on companies throughout the supply chain. And okay. a big part of that is that interdependence, right, between manufacturing businesses, right? Like sure. either you specify a component in your Nissan Sentra from okay. Bosch or whatever supplier, whether it's stampings or any, you name it. Perfect. So focus on, you know, OEMs, you know, manufacturers and industrial distributors and industrial services and technology companies. So when it comes to that, it almost feels like a rant, right? <laughs> to really talk about that frustration. So let me give you a real example. So you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with companies like ABB Baldor, work on them as a very well-regarded supplier of electric motors, yep. acquisition mechanical electrical. I've had the fortune to work with their most important distributor, um, Motion Industries. And I've worked with you know manufacturing and distribution and that relationship and that interdependence. All of that, you have to place in the backdrop of someone, in that case, MRO 
or an OEM. And so, so you have the customer. Who's the customer? And I think the mindset has to remain to stay centered on the customer collectively. Mm-hmm. So if you think about motion industry promises to keep industry in motion, yep. that plant can't go down. It's about uptime. Yep. And so, so when we look at all those frustrations of how do we, as a supplier or brand, really build through that attention and demand and preference of a product, it's really through really the lens best executed as having a really strong, integrated, aligned supplier and distributor relationship. And, you know, at its best, you know, you share in application engineering expertise, right? You would expect that at Motion Industries understanding, well, this is someone using this valve for pulp and paper plant versus, you know, this type of automotive assembly facility. So I think when we look at those challenges, we have to also look at that in the backdrop of, well, how does the industrial buyer or end user or MRO or you name it really want to do business? Well, obviously, all those things you mentioned, like Industry 4.0, are changing everything. 100%. So, so I, think, I think that begs the question, we have to look at how do we continue to deliver unassailable and certainly differentiated value as a supplier and a distributor. So this is why going back to, think about 2009, and we're working with Baldor, and Motion Industries is a really big, important partner, and we did a project with them. But, but Baldor was looking at that question, well... Two-thirds of our business come from our independent distributors. Mm -hmm. So super important. At that time, we were starting to see the emergence of industrial catalogs and e-commerce coming. So I was working with Randy Bro, and he was the VP of marketing and and integration over at Motion Industries. Now he's the president of Motion Industries. So the story connects the two. And so Randy and I sat down and we said, you know, Randy... The industrial buyers changed and they want to do more and more and go deeper and deeper in the buying process and not initiate buying online. So think about manufacturer distributors. They don't want to show price. They don't want to give up those discounts. The supplier relationships sometimes don't even allow you to do that. Or, sure. or, or if it's even that on the distributor side, they have different price multipliers for different customers. Mm-hmm. So guess what? The customer doesn't care. They want to know price availability. Is it in stock? And when can I get it? How can you help me figure out if this is best for my application? So at the time, Baldor had a 501 stock products catalog. I think it was roughly like 6,000 products. It was like the core products that everyone bought. I said, really, what if we decided rather than worry about that question of whether we go direct or we go, what if we say yes and, and we actually empower our independent distributors and not give them any of the tech technical debt of building and maintaining a 501 stock products catalog. And we created a program called Powered by Baldor. And what that was is we created the ability to have integrated private label catalogs in the distributor site. So starting to say, look, Randy was brilliant about this. He goes, but James, they, they got to pay for it in some way because if we do it for free, they won't value it. They won't value it. They won't take advantage of it if it's free. But if they have to pay something. So what they did is they went to their district you know, distribution centers and they looked at really some of their top independent and real busy distributors, that is ESA job shops. And we basically said, let's require them to place a $5,000 stock product order and we'll do the integration. And by the way, many of them were doing it already, but it was just the thought of the association of that value. So just that alone with about 100, fast forward, 100 integrated, they paid that $5,000 stock product order. It was integrated and profitable before it even started. So we built a core catalog as it was updated every year with information and all the different specs and incremental changes of products that was there. We integrated it into their site and it was really this bridge to say, now you can start promoting. Now the products can start propagating on search. So when they're looking for this explosion proof, blah, blah, blah motor, they could go find that. And what it was, was it was that ability to say, our job as a supplier is to empower our distribution base and center that energy around meeting the customer where they're at or where they're going to be at. That's an example of how you can start to reimagine it because, as you know, getting in and running around with line cards, those days have passed. Hmm. The line card is dead. Sure. Because why would you waste the time to have a human being deliver it when it's online within seconds everywhere else? And the closer, you know, a industrial buyer gets to a fully searchable product catalog, the more often they are going to convert. 
And I'm telling you, this is data from years ago, from a decade ago, sure. you know, easily. So when you think about that issue of looking at the supplier-distributor relationship, you're going to have to experiment with things like that. Time passed and Randy moved on to Motion Industries. He came into a, a marketing leadership position. There's a lot of other folks who kind of shared some of the technology components of that. There was also another person in marketing who, who also led kind of the day-to-day of that. And before he started, we did one last project, which was this program around the Energy Independent Security Act. We were phasing out non-premium motors. And there's a lot of confusion. Do I need to like upgrade, repair, or replace? Because that was requiring a level of power savings and efficiency through doing that. And so we decided to really do a program that would create a destination site called the Motor Specialist, where they could learn with Motion Industries and act. And Baldor and U.S. Motors partnered for that. Here's where you can find rebates to do this. We actually looked at the old part numbers and created equivalency calculators so they can find them. So the power of marketing, communications, technology, and the mindset to be of service, right? Distributors are also a services business, mm-hmm. to be of service, whether it's doing a Powered by Baldor program to help them not have the technical debt and maintenance, and honestly, things that are just not in their DNA, to now have a fully searchable catalog, to saying, hey, there's a whole reckoning with 80,000 of our customers that we think we need to say, here's your old phased out motors, learn about this new act and figure out if you want to repair and replace them moving forward. And that, I think, is where we start to see the light bulbs go off is as we look at customer and the leverage we have as a supplier, it's incredible because for Baldor to go to every single individual facility (laughs) that Motion Industry serves, you have to create a whole infrastructure just for that. Mm -hmm. So just like Baldor made their, empowered their distributors, that's the model. Mm -hmm. And I think you can also look at it conversely. How does the distributor say, hey, we're really getting good with e-commerce. Will you support me and give me the data feed? Mm-hmm. of your products, give you the technical specs. That takes education internally. Again, it comes back to the leader. Sure. It comes to the CFO. Who's going to fund this sucker? When we look at that situation, we're not debating whether e-commerce works anymore. We are not an industrial. And let me tell you, and at purchase levels, you wouldn't believe. They'll never buy this thing there. If the information's there, there's video, there's technical specs, it's immediately available. I can look at testimonials, I can get demos, man, they're getting closer and closer. And if they don't get it from you, they're going to get it from someone else. So that commitment to be of service, whether they get to the sale or not, is what we all have to do as manufacturers, suppliers, and their channel partners, distributors. So, and I just want to kind of pivot, and I was intentional in this. So on today's Where's Willie podcast, to all of you listening... As I said, James Soto, as you can clearly tell, he knows this industry. And I want to bring up this point, and I intentionally held off on your bio because I think you're very humble based on all the success that you've already done in this industry and your knowledge. One of the things I'm going to point out before I read your bio, to everyone that needs help, marketing companies are not all the same. You need to partner with someone that understands your industry. Clearly, industrial, they know our industry. So if you're in manufacturing, industrial automation, I'm telling you right now, based in Nashville, Tennessee, James Soto and his team can do some pretty amazing things. Now, I just, I want to read your bio now. So as founder and CEO of Industrial, you are one of the largest in North America, top B2B marketing agency. You have over 17 years experience and perspective from working with iconic industrial brands, as you just outlined, media, trade organizations, and you've been helping so many people with the challenges they face in this new era of disruptive business models, generational change, digital marketing transformation, and industry 4.0. And my timing for this intro is because I'm pivoting on you. We originally, as we discussed, we're gonna talk at 10,000 foot level about industrial marketing, what are some of the challenges and problems? I'm stopping that because I think to bring value to the customers, I'm very, very passionate when I recognize somebody that knows an industry. And here's what I wanna do now, James. For the listeners, if they're in manufacturing, regardless of their channel to market, as you clearly outlined, whether you go through local distribution as we do, if you're partnered with 
Motion Industries, catalog companies, as they say, if you have a sales force. To all of you listening, that doesn't matter. It's still going to be about the same thing as James outlined, and his experience will prove that. So what I now want to ask or talk about is if somebody is in manufacturing and they need help, can you just... I guess at an intro level, because of course, James, everyone's going to be at different stages. Hey, I'm a $10 million a year manufacturer. We make one product or we're motion. We have over 4.8 million products online. Can you talk about when somebody comes in to industrial, kind of what is the first conversation, just so the listeners don't have to feel intimidated to contact you, that what is yeah. the range of the customer base that you you know you guys work with, and then how does each process of helping them start? Yeah, well, thanks for that. When folks come to us, we really I think you got to know this first. Who cares if it's just us, right? But our belief is that we've got to better those who design, make, and move the world, right? We design industrial design, we actually manufacture it and the supply chain that delivers that. Having been in quote unquote, the marketing, communications, technology, and growth consultancy game since 2003, what we've learned working with all the great industrial companies that we have, it's really our job to make ourselves obsolete in a sense while working our tails off, Sure. evolve and, and expand our value stream. So there's uh, when someone graduates, there's always something else we can do for them, right? So I don't like really doing promos, but it's not uh, about promos, though. I want people yeah, to know. Yeah. Well, well, let me. Yeah. So let, let me just explain. So, but I think this is important because it gets to your question of how do we start. So that's just my. We want you. You know, we will all work for our families, right? And yep. our heart and spirit is to make people better for having known and/or work with us. Like that's what we take home. It's not the money. It's not the accounts. But here it is. We believe that if we're going to promise anything to someone before we start, or anyone should start for them, it's like we are here to help industrials be better marketers and sellers of their industrial products and services. Every person who's an industrial business listening to this podcast has to commit to that. You have to be a great marketer and seller of your industrial products and services. You cannot not have a great, strong, integrated, and aligned sales, marketing, and channel partner strategy. Sure. You can't. So you have to build up people. You have to implement these technologies. You have to really engage and communicate with increasingly a digital community. So we think it's our first job when someone reaches out to see where they're at. Mm -hmm. Some are industrial age, some are trending, you know, digital and making the investments and transforming, and some are truly that digital pace setters. And so we really start by figuring out where they're at. And the next thing we think, if you're going to reach out to us, if you're a mid-level marketer, if you're that VP of sales and marketing, if you're someone who just cares about your company, we talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. And what we say is it's our first job to understand where you're at, try to document that. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you actually know about marketing and metrics and all the key things and positioning and brand and, you know, all that stuff that's going to turn people off right now if I get into it. But what we do is it's like, we, our first job is to get you ready for marketing. Mm -hmm. So what we say is if you're willing to go there and share what you know and don't know, I think that empowers us to say, okay, now we've got a baseline from which to act. Mm -hmm. So what we put together in our process is we, we do a marketing readiness assessment. We ask questions about, you know, why people do business with you. When you really, truly look at the market, what are the, you know, one, two, three true points of differentiation that no one can own all three of them? Do you actually know metrics related to like, how many customers you have, if you're a capital equipment manufacturer, what's the velocity it takes to get to the sale? Is it a six month or one year sales cycle? Are you hiring and firing people before they even got through one cycle? <laughs> you know, like, and then there's financial operations and then there's customer acquisition costs, lifetime value. Do you know customer acquisition cost to lifetime value ratios that tell you if you're spending too much or too little? And do you know all of these key measures related to sales and marketing performance? Because so many people just are doing stuff and let's do SEO and let's do this and let's be on LinkedIn and let's go right. do that. We got to go from doing marketing stuff to being marketers. Sure. And so we start with that readiness assessment. We have a website and a survey we give everyone. We used to kind of keep this as the secret sauce, but we actually give it away for free now because we realize that regardless of whether they reach out to us or not, we're fulfilling our mission and our belief system to help them be a better marketer. But we tell them not to use our assessment to like come down on their salespeople because most people fail it. 100%. So and, that to me, yeah, I, so I, that's, I tell so that's where we would start, right? So I want to tell everybody value alert. 
value alert. I don't want to, like I said, just talk about industrial. What I want to talk about then is you seek to make yourself obsolete. For example, and I know what you're going to say. I'm betting you're going to say yes. Should manufacturers be making videos? Yes. So to the point of make yourself obsolete, you know as well as I do, me as the host, guess what I have been very uncomfortable to do? Make video. video. Because yeah. I think the problem that I see with manufacturing, and, and maybe we can you know talk a little bit about this, and that's kind of what I want to outline you know, for everybody listening. When it comes to marketing, this is what I was told. We have a catalog. <laughs> what does that say? It's a valve catalog. <laughs> How so, thick is that sucker? Yeah, it's about <laughs> the size of a Catholic Bible. But to your point, this is it. And then I said, okay, well, what about like a line card? Because people don't want these. Now, again, I'm just saying back then <laughs> we, we were doing line cards. Now we've gotten to the point of videos and, you know, like you, what I don't want to do and what I see happening on social is for the people starting out and just like my own journey, we're scared to make a mistake. And I don't know if this is different or maybe it's just human nature, specifically in manufacturing, we can redo a video 5 million times and we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. So companies continue to not put anything out. So I'm betting, or at least, you know, and I want to ask this, are there people that, you know, reach out? but yet you've talked to them, you've given them suggestions, you're trying to make yourself obsolete. And what you're finding yeah. is, is it fear? Is it lack of trying to where they're coming back to you 16 months later saying, James, I know we had a meeting. I know we went over the assessment. We agree a thousand percent. We didn't pass the assessment well. We want to do these things. And then you would say, oh, well, so what have you started on the last 16 months? We haven't done anything yet. And that yeah. to me is like when I started, we started this podcast, I talked about manufacturing being the worst. There's companies like you that are willing to help and yet the companies still aren't doing anything. And I think it comes down to when we talk about that leadership, we always hear marketing is so difficult because you can't measure the ROI. You can't track and you can't measure the conversion. But now, as you just outlined with the success that you had with Baldwin Motion, my argument or my point to people that can reach out to industrial is you can give them that data just in metrics. You have to have that data. It's literally part of what you need just to run a business. You need to know what your projections are. You need to know. So industrials have such a great entrepreneurial mindset. There's a big swath of the sector is our family owned businesses. Folks have been able to get by mom's been, you know, the CFO all the way through, you know, you know, multinational companies that have a whole different set of complexities. But the thing is, if you don't know where you are and you don't benchmark it, you have no context to judge what it did for you. And I think that the other big challenge we have is that when people finally say, hey, we need to put out content, we need to put out videos, we need to do these marketing things, I'd say do it. Because one of our three differentiators is we Kaizen. Kaizen is essentially change continuous improvement. You know, it's one small step. When we do major things, I say, what's the one small step we can do? What would be the impact if we called every one of our clients every week and said, hey, how you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about you. Here's what's on my mind. This is the one thing I'm really proud about that we did. What's keeping you up at night? What do you need? How can we be of service? That alone is a game changer. It's one small step. So Kaizen for us is, is critical to marketing because we have to often use these measures to do trials in, you know, cause despite all of our expertise, if we do a campaign or we do an effort or you do an effort as a manufacturing marketer, you can't always predict the success or results despite your talent. So if, if you don't do those things and get those key measures and benchmarks, if you don't know where you're starting, you don't know where it took you and further. Uh, what I also find is so many manufacturers set arbitrary goals. We want to be 20 million by 2020 because it rhymed. <laughs> you know, so, so when you really have the benchmark data and you start doing marketing activities, they think it's like instant gratification. You turn it on, we're doing Google paid advertising and we have a person doing search engine optimizations or a website shows up or we're doing content marketing or inbound or account-based marketing or programmatic and you know, in AI, you name it. You look at the shiny object, it's there. But if you get down to those fundamentals of this is where we are, I guarantee you, if you can start showing a leadership team and they're invested in learning and being a little bit of a practitioner and they see that needle moving, that is a realistic expectation if you have none of the foundations and assets and platforms in place and mindset 
and the start of the process of building that DNA in the company, you're challenged. So that's why folks partner mm -hmm. and they have this partner or build. And I think the companies that have, who look at it, they have, you know, I learned this from a, an advisor. I work with Drew McClellan and they did a study of why B2B industrial brands work with agencies. And what they found was that there was those types of clients we have, or, you know, this may be you as a manufacturing business that you have any type of manufacturing, let's say marketing partner where will you marry me is kind of the mindset. Like we're so close. We're literally part of their business to where like their integrated marketing department, we're at the leadership meetings, we're at the planning meetings, we're figuring out campaigns, we're seeing the growth. It's an indispensable relationship. Sure. They value partners. And then in, there's other businesses, then they have what's called play in the field. Let's say you're a job shop or you custom manufacturing shop. And these types of businesses, again, they value the manufacturer, let's say the agency in this place, and they value them that they see, you know, and it's a necessary thing, but they also try different folks and maybe every three years they switch and do something. Sure. Then you have this kind of category, which is single and satisfied. They've built the competency. They have a strong marketing function, but they really need that industrial domain expertise, or they need someone who understands conversion rate optimization or can do analytics and insights. And they value that for that distinct skill. Mm -hmm. You know, think about that niche manufacturing or engineering, right? There's so many specialties. So I think that is what we're looking at. Like, what is that type of relationship that's needed? And if they have none of the foundational elements built, I've learned as a leader, try to learn as much as you can, try to make good decisions, find a partner that's going to be your guide. And that's so critical being a guide. And that's where you got to start. And you have to say, other people have figured this crapola out. Maybe I go there, but the journey's got to lead to you building the function out. That's what I think agencies are missing. They're thinking, oh, we get to do this for you forever. It's like, no, you need to start abdicating some of this stuff because you're telling me my person's managing your social media community forever. No. Yeah. That's not, we're not you, despite how much, many years we do it for folks, but ultimately we want the company to start being, owning that full relationship. So James, focusing on industrial then in terms of your guys' competency, and again, for the listeners, one of the questions that I've asked, and I think a lot of manufacturers ask, okay, because I've been having this conversation when, as I just told you, starting the Where's Willie podcast, I've asked, I hear, well, what are, if a marketer could tell us, what are all of the categories of marketing that we can work on? And when I, and I want to say this, I'm not saying yes to all of them, but I'm saying, am I correct in my understanding? When you look at marketing for a manufacturing company in terms of things that they could start doing, either correct me or maybe add, I look at, you have videos as one column. So videos can be product. They can be documenting the journey behind the scenes, Q&A, but you've got videos as part of marketing. You have e-learning or training. So you're training the staff without the literature, without the hours, because going back to, again, with e-commerce, they don't have the time to all fly in to a central location and sit for 12 hours and hear about 300 products and then leave and have it memorized. I think that training is another, you know, I, I would say from a marketing aspect of how are you selling the product? Then there's social media. So building your presence. And then, of course, I think industrial can be a resource on just because you're on social media doesn't define what your goal is. But that's another category. Then you have e-commerce, SEO. So the website platform itself, functionality, capability, etc. Then I think. Lastly, a company would have then under the marketing umbrella metrics, measurement for the ones that I've mentioned. So did I cover all the categories or there's ones that I'm missing? Yeah. So I think you're covering forms of communication and also channels by which we reach folks. Right. And so I think what I think we have to understand is that the industrial executive, the exec, you know, the industrial folks in operations and MRO, and design engineers, they're people. They all consume, they watch Netflix, they're on LinkedIn, they're an industrial search, they're reading trade and technical data for their jobs. We're all doing research on Google. The simple answer is you're going to have to be discoverable and you're gonna have to get their attention. And basically you've got to be wherever, whenever, and however they may be looking to solve their problems and explore interests. And that is across media that people write about you, you earn it. Modern Machine Shop writes an article about you or Industry Week, 
that can be owned content. You own the content, you own your website, you own your email blast you're sending out, you own your technical and spec sheet data, uh, you own your e-catalog, you have owned content you have to create in a myriad of formats, written, audio, video, right? It's not the video, it's about the mechanisms by which we consume. That's really where, where you have to really think about it. You've got that owned, then there's paid media, then there's that necessity to say, hey, how do we go and actually be found and proactively promote demographically, psychographically a profile that really matches who our best suited customers are. And then there's social media. So, you know, there's earned media, there's owned media, there's paid media and there's social media. You know, that's however they're looking, desktop, laptop, mobile. Part of that also has the real world in it. We will get back to having events and doing education and doing webinars and trade shows. And so the other part of that is, yes, there's a very important part for sales to play. And there's the need to maybe act more like software companies to only reach out to the best suited, highly vetted customers. It's not about everybody. The fewer people you can get to get the most revenue, amen, for many businesses. And so that's outbound outreach and selling. It's done very wrong by many. <laughs> then there's the inbound component. And that's where you see a lot of content and email strategy come in to bring people to you. And then we believe in these, this third bucket called the three R's. And that's, I think, a lot of traditional industrials and just human beings in us. It's all about our relationships. It's so important in industrial, our reputation we've built through that content and the things we've done in action, yeah. right? And that third R is what do you get from those two? You get referrals, you get introductions. So the three R's, inbound and outbound, are where all those earned, owned, paid, and social media and human things that we do go. So it may seem overwhelming. And so where it starts is see where you're ready, see where your measures are, understand your target audience of who are we focusing on here? How are we gonna position our products, our services, our company, our brand, our service? Great service, high precision, you know, all that stuff industrials say are not differentiators, they're an expectation. They absolutely expect you to do these things. So work on that stuff, figure out where your sweet spots are. And when you do that, you can go through and find that guide that could work with you and say, okay, here's how we do it, Kaizen, step by step. But you gotta build the foundation before you just start just doing stuff. But with a caveat, if you put stuff out there, just be yourself, figure out how does this deliver value? How does this help this engineer do their job or someone in maintenance? or someone who's trying to look at how they're transforming their enterprise. And if you do it in that context, and we're not chest pumping and go look at our X4Z, it's this great, put it in context that how does that actually help them be a better company? You know, our third point of differentiation, we center on our client so they can center on their customer because that's, you know, the second that we're both looking at their customer together, we know we got a great relationship. Mm. And I think that's the same mindset that holds true throughout this. So. It's a, again, this is big macro stuff, right? This is big view of it. But if you want to be a great marketer, start by getting yourself ready, understand how you're, you know, what success looks like and how you're going to measure it and then figure out where there is clarity and not clarity. And then you can start to figure out who you target. Then you can build a plan and then you can do these tenants. So, th so let's talk about video. Let's yeah. talk about all those things. So now you can say, okay, we've done that rep. We got a great plan. We know who we're targeting. We know what we're doing. We even interviewed these customers that are our sweet spot and our existing ones and the new ones we want. And we know what they need, the information they need in order to do business with us. So then we want to be communicative. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a better way of talking about marketing instead of like the jargon? 100%. And when we're communicative, we do it in a myriad of formats, written, audio, video, and we just want it to be engaging, useful, and actionable. Because ultimately what we find is when people reach out to us and they just want the end result, I want leads. <laughs> well, screw you. <laughs> I want a great freaking marketing practice with an unassailable value proposition that could deliver with excellence that's centered on the customer, knows their needs, provides the most critical assets and technical and educational information to help them do their job. And then as a reward for that, you could have a lead. But if you want to hire me, go leads. I'll go throw a ads for you. Go hire an ad agency. Yeah. Good luck. Because you know what? There's so many folks doing that, but it gets down to that core problem. We've got to change the belief system 
And we've got to address and help the leader find their way and see what's missing, what's mismanaged and what's misunderstood. And then we can go get that opportunity because we decided that we're going to commit to marketing in our markets and build the function out and get the people with the right DNA and get the right partners. Because the companies that are doing that, they're crushing it compared to their competition. This crushing it. And your competitors are going to sit there silently chuckling and being so glad that you're not even discoverable where they are. This is going to lead into the next question that I have. So at Industrial on your website, you offer an assessment. We just talked about the opportunities for marketing for both inbound and outbound. And you at Industrial have the ability to help any of us with either, as long as we define a goal. So my question now is, if we understand an assessment of going to your website, taking the assessment, really seeing where we're at currently, how do we go about building then the inbound and the outbound, focusing on value and customer, because ultimately that's where the value lies is what you're providing to those that you serve. So the question I have is with business to business modeling in the industrial sector, specifically in manufacturing, why is this the most potential for marketing? And I would guess because so many of us have yet to start. Is that I think there's nothing but opportunity. And you've got to understand that there's, I hate trial and learning. There should be a trial and error. Trial and learning is what it should be about. Mm -hmm. Marketing is about failing fast. Yeah. And if you can't have, if you don't have the ability to understand like what the true goal is, there was some type of real data intelligence by which you set it by. And then as you try things, you tweak them you have to go through the mindset, like R&D is trial and error all the time, right? You want to do iterative design, you want to fail, you want the Starship to explode on the launch pad before there's people in it. Those are the types of things that I think you have to do. So I would say start with that. When we're doing assessments, the thing that's got to be clear, it's a self-assessment and it's meant to spark internal conversations. And I think the first job after understanding where the holes are, are answering those questions. I mean, I have clients don't even know the, they come to us, they don't even know the average bookings a new customer brings. They, they just depends on where they are on their journey. A lot of them can get it, but that's still not knowing. Because if you're not getting it, you don't know. And so we, we basically say, look, you know, we look at about 40 questions. We say, well, go do it. And what would be the impact if you had clarity in all of them? And everybody can speak to what are your top 10 objections? What are the ways that you overcome them from a sales standpoint? You can answer like, why aren't you including testimonials in your sales and marketing process? Knowing that that's one of the last things statistically industrial B2B buyers look at are credibility factors and testimonials. Why don't you have those things stacked up? So when we add up these questions, we could probably come up with a hundred. These are enough to find areas, whether it's positioning and branding, whether it's you know marketing investment and sales performance or positioning or competitive related questions. Why we do that is what we found when we first started the company, a lot of folks were taking us up on doing stuff for them. Mm -hmm. And what we were realizing was they were doing stuff and yes, they were getting progress, but they weren't progressing as a marketing and sales practice and function. And we've got to go beyond doing things to being something and being a great industrial marketing and sales practice. So I would say start there, answer the questions, and then that's going to say, oh, we need, it may say we need to do branding and positioning. We may need to really build a website. Wow, we really don't understand our ideal client, who they are and what their types are and what their needs are. And wow, these are the questions they're asking. Well, why are we not answering them? There's your video. Yeah. There's your video. There's your blog post. There's your email blast to the customer. There's the phone call. There's the sales script. There's the theme of your trade show booth this year. If it's the existential question and you're the best at answering it and you've got the best solution and you're using that input to feed into the next best solution down the line, you got a good business because it should be centered on the customer. And when we talk about customers, you know, here's another little pivot. So when we look at the industry as a whole too, you and I had had a conversation prior to the start where I actually, you know, was a guest speaker and I talked about making manufacturing sexy with industrial it's got to be just like me. You see some really amazing innovations. I mean, it's uh, like the TV show, How It's Made. We get to embrace technology and innovation that ultimately is an end product that's potentially helping thousands of lives if it's in medical or if it's, you know, an innovation that helps human life with the advancement of robotics and allow people to do things they couldn't do. How does, I guess, the success that you're having at Industrial and the voice that you have, are you able to make manufacturing career path more attractive to that next generation? 
Well, I have a lot of experience there. A big part of, believe it or not, what we do prior to COVID-19, we, we've been addressing the skilled labor gap, okay. um, which has been massive. So, you know, a lot of manufacturing businesses have the work, but not the workers. We're really seeing, and to your point, like so many folks are, manufacturing sector is actually getting older as a workforce and that the, what, 60% of engineers are eligible for retirement. And as you know, we see, how do we fill it? There's not enough workers to fill a lot of these jobs up to this point. There haven't been. And the reality of it is that the answers that we're starting to see is it comes from really coming back to our older, more experienced workforce and seeing if they want to work longer. And also it's, it's really bringing our wonderful, amazing, and very talented women into manufacturing. There are not enough men to fill this stuff and we need to expand it. But when someone says we have to like make manufacturing cool or sexy, it kind of ticks me off because so much of our world and what's amazing about it and having steady jobs are because of the industrial revolution. You think of the great technology and our, our mobile devices, there is nothing to look at digitally if it wasn't for the amazing technology that is primarily manufacturing based. Sure. Manufacturing is awesome. Manufacturing is cool and we need to move on from being apologetic about manufacturing and say, we are the technology industry. We are going to be the guides of industry 4.0. And we are going to bridge that mechanical, electrical, digital divide. And we're going to make our lives better through it. So you can go work at a cubicle in a software company somewhere, or you can make some really cool stuff. You can design, manufacture, electromechanical, digital products. Yes, software is cool. Software is great. Data is awesome. The fact is we are physical human beings mm -hmm. and manufacturing and that tangible asset and making things is so amazing. So in 2012, I saw the first manufacturing day kind of get bootstrapped and it was the National Association of Manufacturers, Manufacturing Institute, Fabricators and Manufacturers Association and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. They run the MEP National yeah. Network. And full disclosure, they're partners and clients, all, all of them at, at some point here. And I reached out to them going, I think you got something here. Mm -hmm. And they held like 200 events and they were already kind of already a manufacturing day events going on, but it wasn't coordinated. It was just mm -hmm. these random events all around the country. And we actually offered our services free of charge. We said, this could be a movement. This could be something that really truly changes perceptions about manufacturing, manufacturing careers. They came together to do that. But we really realized we had to meet that next generation of manufacturing worker, which were students, parents, and counselors. Hmm. We literally were Oz behind the curtain, build manufacturing, MFG day, web manufacturing day website. We built the brand. We created all the social promotions. We worked with how it's made the show <laughs> discovery networks on the science channel and Essentially for years, we built it up to what I think it just passed 3000 events and hundreds of thousands of people every year walking into manufacturing. And, you know, Deloitte came in to do studies later and we, we saw statistically from the data in serving students coming out of these manufacturing day events that they had better perceptions of manufacturing coming. That is there, but I think we're at the point now that we're creating the problem. We need to say what we are doing for people. We need to say what is great about it. And let's stop apologizing for it. Because last time I checked, we make some pretty cool stuff that people are addicted to, like their phones. <laughs> so, you know. So. Or, you know, like one of the things that I say to my daughter, you know, like Louis Vuitton, it's a brand. And guess what? It gets made somewhere. So once again, like the finished things, everything that you smell, touch, eat, everything has to physically get made somewhere. And that's manufacturing. I want to add on then to this. So we started yeah. the podcast talking about humbling myself, my journey, what I'm doing with Koganay, what Koganay is. We are a maker of products. We sell through a distribution channel. I'm working yeah. on the inbound. We're doing some outbound. We're working with our distributors. So for the listeners, if you're a manufacturer, obviously to me, I think doing the assessment is great and it should be the four point. That's the OEMs. But you just hit on something, I think, based on the question that I asked you, when we talk about marketing communication, then with what you do at Industrial, it's not just with a for-profit company. For example, I just interviewed, so every state has a 501c3 nonprofit manufacturing association. That's an advocacy for that state to recruit businesses to come and open up shop and physically bring on employees. 
the communication yeah. in my podcast interview was, guess what? Their product is jobs. Their target is new people. There's a communication gap. So yeah. my question to you is, if we're struggling to recruit or bring on manufacturing and we're with the government agency, can we apply some of these same principles and possibly get support of industrial because we're a government agency? And then also you hit on education. There's a huge gap right now where people say professors are doing so much in, in research that they don't have a classroom setting that is exciting to young people. I've said to my kids, I went to Western Michigan University, the Hayworth College of Business, good business college. But I can tell you, like when we talk about pride, being a six foot three, 260 pound former linebacker working on the campus at MIT, like I came back home, like kids, guess where dad just was? MIT, Harvard, WIS Institute, soft robotics. Are you kidding? WMU to there? My point is this, no matter where the education is getting done, I think what I'm hearing from professors is we're really struggling, right? The product, the education piece, what do we need to be teaching? And then how do we create that product for students? So my question to you, James, is marketing in industrial automation or in manufacturing or just in industry is not just a for-profit company like Cognate. As you just said, it's also... When we talk about making it sexy or, or it being good, it's also government agencies have to do a better job, and, and they are. You know, I think the work that you've been doing with Manufacturing Day, letting people know about these events, because you know how many people I meet, like, we didn't know that this Michigan Manufacturing Association existed. Oh, did you know there's one in Indiana? Did you know there's one in Ohio and Tennessee in every state? Now we're starting to see them communicate, and I can tell you on my interview, they're saying, like, we're working on some marketing things, right? So, I mean, yeah. I guess, do you agree with that as well? Is Well, well yeah, because I'm doing it. You know, one of our clients is NIST, is the you know, MEP National Network. They're literally in every state. They're that yeah. advocacy program. They're looking to create jobs and economic impact. And obviously, being part of the Department of Commerce, you know, there's a lot of compliance and do's and don'ts that you can do in that effort. But essentially, you know, what's been bridging the gap is a lot of these national networks, like here in Tennessee, the Tennessee MEP is part of the University of Tennessee Center for Industrial Services. And there already are a lot of them that are bridging the gap between the educational segment and the manufacturing segment. And they're primarily so focused on small and medium-sized businesses because that's where manufacturing is. And what they are doing now is more and more supporting, they're more and more supporting these efforts to communicate the value of manufacturing to help the economic impact teams in, in states, you know, attract manufacturing. They're even going a step further. Department of Defense and Commerce are working together on with Manufacturing USA, which is another client segment of ours too. And those are those multiple institutes for these next generation advanced manufacturing. MXD, IACME, which is advanced composites. There's so many organizations focused on additive, bio, basically the future technologies. And this is where academia comes in and starts to try to introduce these technologies of the future to start to show these use cases and applications for our next generation of manufacturing. It's of strategic interest to the country. So our job is to really help them, just like we did with manufacturing, help them learn how to communicate better mm -hmm. as a group of institutes and all these different manufacturing technologies and how can defense and commerce come together and really support that mission of strategic interest. So yes, there's bureaucracy. Yes, there's a lot that goes into it, but essentially there is that intent to figure out that plumbing sure. so that there are distinct voices, but there's also that one voice because what I think what you're getting at, and I think every constituency that is concerned with manufacturing needs to know this, for a large part, manufacturing, the left hand doesn't know the right, what the right hand is doing. And the left hand doesn't know the right hands even there. And so I can't tell you how many times, like, did you know this is, to your point, there, there was this manufacturing association, there's this job skills and credentialing programs you can do. And, you know, here's a machinist or welding program you can do. And here's where you can get funding as a manufacturer or small business. And here are programs that, you know, NIST is doing. It's crazy. So for me, one of the themes I've always found, and quite frankly, frustrations is, man, we just got to get the band together. So I actually helped form Nashville Made. I was involved with the Urban Manufacturing Task Force to keep manufacturing in the urban core of Nashville. 
and we're, we're now working with Mayor Cooper's office, who's a public-private partnership or fiscally sponsored by the Arts and Business Council of Greater Nashville, Tennessee. We're literally building a you know, community of makers and manufacturers and trying to really bring them together as a community is the first step of our master plan. And that's what we need to do. We need to become a cohesive community speaking to what manufacturing is, has done, and can do for people. It's about coming together as a community. And I think that's what's going to happen with podcasting, with video, with the web, with more and more folks getting fluent and becoming communicative as industrials. We have an opportunity to come together as a very strong community. And I believe it's our goal to really help America manufacture the manufacturing of the future. Mm -hmm. You know, because what are we, 12, 11% of the economy now? So I don't want to see that go down. Right. Here's a question. So through your eyes, you know, as the leader of industrial, if we say in the past, nobody knew what an assessment was, nobody did an assessment, no one cared about marketing. If today we drew a line in the sand and I am going to take you up on your offer, I'm going to within ourselves and, and take the assessment. So if we were to say, okay, in the past, no one even knew what an assessment was. If today we start saying, hey, people are now starting to look at the questions that we're asking in our assessment, right? So people are beginning to look at it. My question then is, through the eyes of industrial, what does the next five to 10 years then look like? If we're starting to see our industry from like from a Kogane, government advocacy, education, if everyone now starts, James, doing the assessment, what does the next five to 10 years look like to you in terms of communicative or marketing implementation advancement from where you're at today? If it was just literally, if they just stopped to take a look at what they know and don't know about really what the marketing readiness assessment is, is really assessing their ability to realize their growth agenda. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's really what it boils down to. Right. And so I think if someone was to do that one thing, to slow down before they speed up and really take a look about what they know and don't know about themselves and how they market, sell, position themselves. But the one thing that they're going to be able to do is decide if and how they act. And if they do act, what we typically find within about a three-year cycle is that whether they partner or do this stuff themselves, whether they answer their own questions and they become that practitioner or they get help, we just want them to do it, period. But the first year, they're going to have to do a lot of creating a lot of clarity, mm -hmm. right? Everything from positioning, like, are we focused on the right places? What do people need? How do we really kind of zero in on, you know, how what we do can serve and what we want to do or what the market's telling us we need to do? I think that first year they got to often when they're committed to the marketing function and the marketing practice and activating it, mm -hmm. a lot of them actually, if they're not, if they're kind of starting from scratch, they have to build the foundation. So the first year kind of feels like a massive project. It's building okay. communications, it's positioning, it's branding, it's looking at your customer data, it's building, do you have a CRM, do you have marketing automation, do you have a website that really articulates the differentiated well-positioned value proposition? Does it actually function to drive opportunity? Is it something that can be communicative that someone would want to visit? Do you actually have the ability to extend your own content to people and now be communicative? Building that foundation to be able to do that it's a pretty good expectation of your first year if you're literally starting at the industrial age spectrum of the journey. If you've already been trending digital and you do this assessment, what you're starting to think about is really how do you start to complete that journey mm. and start to really leverage some of the technology, start to really zero in the value delivery that you provide. In that second year, you're starting to look at really where you invested in infrastructure and technology and, and getting people's mindsets and focus around the customer, now you're starting to get significantly more focus on value delivery and being communicative. And then really that third year, what we see is they're able to now through that mastery and looking at data, then they can start getting more segmented and nuanced. So now you can reach multiple people with multiple value propositions or multiple segments and, and keep threads going so that your persistence and the quality and how that ties in and integrates with your integrated marketing sales and channel partner strategy that all comes together and after you go holy moly three years later mm -hmm. the only thing you're going to be de debating is why didn't you do it sooner because you're looking at analytics and that's the moment that's when marketers get their swagger that's when leaders like ding light bulb goes on and they're directly attributing 
knowing where they started, that's why you do an assessment to get a baseline. And by the way, you'll have a whole new set of metrics besides the, the ones we're using just to get you to think. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're not debating marketing. You're not debating your investment in technology around centering around the customer and focusing on customer data and looking at the life cycle of a customer and industrial decision-making units because we're probably marketing to more people than ever in this cycle. Your focus on how do we do it better. The debate about marketing goes away. Really, the debate about how do we really be more competitive and how do we do it even better is all what it's going to all be about. And that's why we see the folks that we work with that go through that journey, they're with us a very, very long time. But we have to look at, when, and when you look at, when you kind of look, look at yourself, you may have an organizational health. You may still have the lack of breakthrough to get belief. You know, you only got one job and one career and so much time. You yeah. got to decide if that's the right environment. Because when you have strength and you have talent, you can take your talents elsewhere. And that is a very enviable position to be in for us. We could just say no, because honestly, my team and wearing them out is more about not wearing them out is very valuable to me. And I think that's the tough part of doing this type of thing. I can't tell you how many people I see take a marketing or sales job, you know, and I ask them, well, what was your budget? It's like, well, we don't have one. It's like, well, man, I hope you make it. that, That starts to represent where the values are. And maybe if there's the mindset and the commitment and that's validated with leadership, then that's a job worth taking. But part of these assessments also, you're actually seeing where you're at and if there's the opportunity to change. If you keep doing what you're doing, it may actually cause you to fail. So James, this assessment, and I do want to confirm, do you have that available? And if you do for the public, yeah, it, where, where can I get it? Yeah, it's at, it's at getmarketingready.com, getmarketingready.com. I did about, I think about 12 speaking events last year, two of which were keynotes. The other half were, the other 25% were uh, leadership summits, where it's only leaders of like industry associations. So we did like the Forging Industry Association and a couple others. And I think it was Precision Metal Forming Association. And the other third was like technical workshops. So we did Modern Machine Shop, um, their Top Shops event. We did this assessment, interact. we did it as an interactive blind study so that people would be willing to kind of show their warts, right? Because it was blind and the questions came up on screen. So, and they answered all 40 and they got a score. And then we went through like five really impactful questions. And then we put those live and the live results after everybody was wrapped up. Of all, was it 10 or 12? Every, I know this for sure. Every group overall had a failing score. Hmm. And it's no surprise. Yeah. yeah, we got some calls for sure. And some really did the work themselves. We had a group that got a straight A. They're awesome. We asked them to contribute to our community publication, <laughs> industrialmarketer.com. We just said, can you write an article? Like we want to share what you're doing right. And not everyone's going to have a bad grade, but if you know it, you know it, yes. And you don't know, or you only know some, if you don't know it, but you can get it, that's not a yes. And if you don't look at it, that's not a yes. So it's an interesting kind of sliding scale thing we do. I think it's worth a look. And the CFO should take it. The CEO should take it. Certainly anyone in leadership, but especially the head of marketing and the head of sales. The one piece of advice I give is it's not a weapon. It's not a tool. Like, well, why don't you know this? First of all, most people don't know these things. And the whole point of it is to say, okay, let's, the more we're honest, now you're empowered to affect positive change. And if your leader doesn't know where your sales and marketing team is really at, that leader can't help, can't lead that person to the solution. That person who's a salesperson that goes, I really don't know this stuff. I got to level up, or you need to help me get to those answers. That person is empowered to do what's right for the business. One of the things I wish when we did this is I would write like how to use this, use it for good, not for evil. But when you have those real conversations about what you know and don't know, that's where the good stuff happens. And that constructive conflict, even if it gets, you know, a little conflict, but it's not personal, that's where the magic happens. When you're really going, well, how do we know? Why don't we do this? And like everyone's being constructive in that conversation and saying, well, what do we do? And what can we answer? And what do we need to know right now? That's what our mission is, is to help people be better. <laughs> and, and I agree with you. And I think, you know, again, for all the listeners, and again, myself, head of marketing and business development at Koganay, who's probably going to get real humbled when I do this, getmarketingready.com, get your assessment. I think it's a starting point. It's not a final grade. It's an honest assessment of this is where we're at with Koganay, 86 years in business today. Now I have a good idea of where I got to get started. And I think that you're providing a tremendous amount of value to not just 
manufacturers like us at Kogane, but also any government agencies that have the same challenge. They're struggling to draw in talent for education, struggling to draw in student interest into some of these classrooms. And so I think that, you know, again, everything from government advocacy, 501c3 nonprofits to education and, you know, manufacturers. That's why, like I told you, it really meant a lot to have you be a guest of the show. Again, everyone, James Soto, CEO of Industrial Strength Marketing, also known simply as Industrial. They are the leaders, clearly. James, if anybody has questions and they want to reach out offline or call you immediately after the assessment, what are the, what are the best ways um, or all the avenues that people can get in touch with Industrial? So the assessment at GetMarketingReady.com has our phone number. You could reach me there. Just look me up in the phone tree. But we can be reached at IndustrialStrengthMarketing.com, obviously on LinkedIn. And, you know, one of the things that we recommend doing is like creating a PowerPoint with all the questions and then over time trying to answer them all. When you roll that out to your team, the amount of, oh, okay, here's where we're at. These are the things we know. Oh, I'm so glad to know these measures because I, I want to move that needle on that. Mm -hmm. You know that motivates marketers and sellers and, and anybody. When you see a number, when you see it even tick up a nick better, that is like addictive. And that's why we're asking people. But th these are very simple questions. Like, I don't want to build this up too much. These are very simple questions, but it's the thinking around them. And, and I think that's what we just want to inspire folks to do. And, you know, we do, we do a follow-up readiness thing where if folks need help with the fiscal questions, especially in formulas like ROI, most folks, the way you answer these questions, often we find based on the way they answer them, they can't even calculate ROI <laughs> in marketing. So it's like, it's that kind of stuff. We can help more, but you know, right now I think it's a tool for your audience and I hope it helps. Well, thank you, James Soto, for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast. As always, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I invite you to jump over to Podbean, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life. If you are in manufacturing and you have a story that you want to share or be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Please go to whereswilliepodcast.com and request to be a guest of the show. Our producer, Linda Hopler, will get in touch with you to complete the registration and scheduling process. All guests are free to the show, and we look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie Show. For more information on future shows, please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.